Welcome back to Vertical Vision. Today we're going to continue our study in the I Am Statements of Jesus. And the one we're going to focus on today is his statement that he is the light of the world and what that means for the world and what that means for us as believers. So I hope this encourages you and blesses you. So open up your Bibles to the book of John and let's get into the word. This morning we're going to look at the second I am statement that Jesus makes. And just like what we saw in the first I am statement, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life, it had a backstory and it had a backdrop, right? Well, the same holds true with the second of the I am statements. We have a backstory and a backdrop, and it's beautiful. And so I want us to, to delve into that first. So we're in John chapter 8, verse 12. And really, we're going to just take this one verse and from it springboard into all the other verses that tie into this and the meaning and the implications that it has for us today. So in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, or it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is a huge statement. What's the backdrop? What's the story that's going on here? Remember, Israel had the feasts that God gave them to observe. Three of them were to be uh, kept by all men three times a year. One was the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus, you know, that's where he talked about him being the bread of life. And then they also had the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of the people. And then you had the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the last feast in the religious calendar. And it was a happy feast. But they also made temporary shelters, okay? Lean-tos and things like that to remember that they sojourned for 40 years in the wilderness. Temporary dwellings. See, they were just pilgrims passing through for 40 years until they went into God's promised land for them. And so this is going on. So people are erecting their booths and all. And they go to Jerusalem. And you celebrated God's deliverance from bondage to Egypt, his salvation. You, deliver, uh, you celebrated his protection. You celebrated his provision. You celebrated his guiding for 40 years through the wilderness, leading his people. And you remember that when the Lord was leading the people of Israel, he did it by day with a, uh, a cloud, right? And it's cool because the Bible tells us the cloud provided shade, you know? And that's awesome that God just is covering his people. And then at night, what was it that led them in the, in the darkness? 
Remember? A pillar of fire. Right. A pillar of fire. And this is what's so key about the pillar of fire. It didn't just illuminate the way. In it, God led the way. It went before them. So when the pillar stayed, the people stayed. When the pillar moved, the people moved. And they were walking in the light of the pillar of fire as God was leading them in the path that he had set forth for them, ultimately getting into the promised land. With that as our backdrop, this is what's happening in Jerusalem. Again, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And what they would do in the court of the women, the outer court of the temple, was erect four gigantic oil lamps. And they would be lit up at night as reminders of the pillar of fire, the light of God that led the people through the darkness and through the wilderness into God's desired haven for his people. And it was said, and I think it's probably a little exaggeration, but the saying used to be, every courtyard in Jerusalem was lit up with the light of the lamps. Okay? So that's a way of saying it was really, really bright. And it's with this backdrop that Jesus says to the people that are assembled in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me does not walk in darkness, but has the light of life. And can you picture that? Nighttime. Jerusalem, Temple Mount, giant lamps burning, and Jesus cries out saying, I am the light. I am the one who is going to guide you through the darkness, guide you through the wilderness into God's desired haven for you. What he was saying was absolutely incredible. And the way it would have rung in the ears of the people, I I, I just... They, they must have just had their minds blown with him declaring himself to be the light of the world. Because it goes beyond Israel, but the entire world Jesus is the light of. He says here, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If you've ever been out camping with somebody and you don't have a flashlight and you don't stay close to them, you will be walking in darkness because they're, they've got the light and you don't. And if you don't stay close, it's going to be hard to navigate. Okay. I've done that. I was a boy scout and not always prepared and, or your batteries go out and Hey, guess what? You stay close to the person with the light because that's where you have illumination. That's how you can navigate through the darkness. Keep your finger here in John and turn over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1. And Isaiah speaks of Jesus being the light of the world. Isaiah 9, verse 1, and we'll also read verse 2. 
And, and we normally think of this, this chapter of, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But there's a lot going on in this chapter. And it begins, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So we already have a people here that are in sorrow and anguish. In the former time, he, that is God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Some versions say of the Gentiles, okay? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Zebulun and Naphtali, northern tribes, okay, and associated with the northern kingdom, Israel. And in the scriptures, we're told that when, when Israel sinned, okay, there was this division, okay, under the reign of Rehoboam the son of Solomon, because he did not walk in the ways of the Lord. So 10 of the tribes rebelled and they became the northern kingdom, Israel. And then you had Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Naphtali and Zebulun are associated with the northern kingdom. And Israel sinned so much against God. God even said that the pagan nations don't do the sins that you all do. And he judged Israel, and he disciplined Israel for their sin. And it was a dark place. It was a difficult place because the Syrians and the Babylonians came in and they were pounding that area over and over and over again as God was disciplining his people and correcting his people. And what they did, the Babylonians actually planted people from other nations in that region and they did this as a, as a norm because if you could get the people of a nation to assimilate with other people and you remove their heritage their traditions their cultures then they don't have something to to bond by and they're easier to rule and control when they don't have that heritage anymore to hold on to and so with that being the case the people that lived in the northern kingdom, the northern part of Israel, around the Galilee and all, they were considered and were half-breeds. So those in Jerusalem and in the southern part of, of Israel, they looked down on the people of the north, the Samaritans, the Syrophoenicians. You know, these are the people that Jesus went to, the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. The parable of, of the Samaritan and the person that was, was beaten and all, the good Samaritan, okay? Samaritans were looked down upon because they weren't purebloods. They were ostracized. They were outcasts. They were despised. They were rejected. And so Isaiah tells us that to these people who were in darkness and great despair, the light came. And what's amazing is the people who were in the darkest place were the most open to the light of Christ. And I think that when we understand and we realize our own sin and our own darkness, we are more open to the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in our lives. 
when we think we have it all together, when we think we're righteous, when we think we're holier than other people, it is hard for, for God to make an impact in our lives because we're, we're so self-righteous. Hungry people will look for food. They look for the bread of life. Darkness is disorienting. And to try to navigate the darkness is difficult at best, mainly impossible, and dangerous. It makes me think about when I was a kid, we lived in southern New Mexico. And whenever anybody came to visit us, it was a mandatory trip to Carlsbad Caverns. Okay, anybody ever heard or been to Carlsbad? Okay, all right, so Carlsbad Caverns. The thing is huge, absolutely massive, 30 miles in its expansiveness. And it is a tiny cave. Lechuguilla, which is right next to it, over 114 miles of underground wonder. When we would go there, one of the things that, uh, and if you've been there, you may have had this, this happen. You're down deep. And to show you what darkness is really like, they turn the light off. That's dark. And I remember sitting, I, I remember sitting there, you know, and you're just like, okay. After a little while, as they're telling you what their, you know, their spiel and everything, and everything just kind of, it starts feeling kind of weird because you don't have anything to, to, to gauge with, or at least that's the way it was for me. And, you know, if, if you were to not have a light, you're not getting out alive. It's not happening. One time we were there, the park ranger who was doing the little, the little uh, uh, thing on, on history and stuff, when it came time to throw the switch to turn the lights back on, it blew the breaker. And so the park ranger says, um, everybody, it's going to take a little longer before we can get the lights up and running. Uh, we've, we've blown a breaker. So we're just going to sit tight and not move. And people are thinking, oh, ha, 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 that's funny. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Uh, we're not moving. See, I think back to that place. That is darkness. And you're not getting out on your own. You've got to have light. And the creatures that dwell there at best have minimal vision. And they prefer the darkness of night as they leave the caves. Most are blind. And that is the world they know. They live in a world of wonder, but they can't see it. And the world that we live in is a world that is living in darkness. People are blind spiritually. They don't know any other life. They don't know any other world. And there's no way they're going to get out of it without the light. 
And Jesus comes and says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So many people are trying to find purpose, trying to find direction, trying to find hope, trying to find an escape. As they grope through life in the darkness, Jesus is the one who is that light. He is the light of life, he says. When you look at Jesus, everything he does is done well and perfectly. Turn over to chapter 1 of John. Verse 4. In him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus shows us what life is all about. You look at the life of Jesus, there is never stress, except before going to the cross, okay? But on a daily level, all right, daily thing, he just moved with the Father. He sought the will of the Father in prayer, walked with the Father throughout the day. He was never in a rush, always had time for people. Always knew everything was going to be okay. Peter comes running and says, do we pay taxes? They're wondering if we pay taxes. He's freaking out a little bit. Jesus isn't. I wish we had this every April 15th. But Jesus tells them, go down to the the seashore, throw a line in, grab the fish, and go pay the taxes. No worries. How are we going to feed all these people? If we had 200 denarii, we couldn't even begin to give them a little bit. What do you got? Five loaves, two fish. All right, let's feed everybody to where there's a superabundance. There's a storm raging. Why are you asleep, Jesus? Because Papa's got it covered. The life of Christ is such a picture of of beauty. Simplicity. As he walks hand in hand with the Father. You can look at Jesus and any issue that we face in life, we can see that Jesus has a way to address it. Relationships, work, enemies, prayer, hunger. (laughs) You know, God's got it covered. Jesus teaches us not to worry about the things of this life because our Heavenly Father knows we have need of these things before we even ask. 
So for Jesus, I love the fact that he not only tells us in his word what to do and how to live, but he shows us. I'm the kind of person, you can tell me stuff, but I'm not going to get it very well. I, I don't learn well that way. But you show me how to do it. You come alongside me and, and we, we do it together. I'll learn it, hopefully. I'll learn it better than if you just tell me, okay? As I see it. But the Lord goes beyond that and he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life and to follow him. You can't get better than that. Instruction, example, power. You can't lose. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The entire world. I illuminate it. I show what it's all about. I show the beauty of it, the splendor of it, the purpose of it, the hope of it, the end goal of it, the creator of it. I illuminate life. But how are we going to address that? How do we deal with that? Jesus talks about two different ways we face the light. Go over to chapter 3 of John verse 20 and 21, familiar passages. This is right on the heels of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. John three sixteen. for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We go down, we're still in the discourse, and Jesus says in verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 19, let's do this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. People love the darkness because they don't want their deeds to be revealed. If you've been in, in a class that I've taught, you've probably heard me say, I don't like it when people point out my shortcomings. That's a nice way of saying my sin and my faults and my junk, okay? I don't like it. I don't think anybody does when somebody calls us on the carpet for sin in our lives, something that's not right, something that's out of order. It just, for me, it rubs me the wrong way. I don't like that. People don't like it. And Jesus, as the light, he illuminates the darkness in our lives. Jesus not only exposes the outward actions, but the inward heart behind the action, right? I mean, when his light shines, it goes deep. And so when he taught, he said, look, you know, you say I'm not a murderer? But then he points out the heart of the matter. If you hate your brother, 
you're guilty of murder. It's that same heart. Oh, I don't commit adultery. Hmm. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you are guilty of adultery. And that just makes you cringe because like the Pharisees, they could go down the list and they go, man, I've got everything the way it needs to be. And then the heart is revealed, boom, and it's blown out of the water. The rich young ruler, right? What do I need to do, good teacher? And Jesus says, well, do all these things. And he did the vertical, I mean the horizontal, you know. Okay, honor your mother, father, don't lie, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I've done all this for my youth. Okay, now let's turn the light on in this room. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Let's start looking at the vertical now. He had a God, and it was his wealth, and he went away saddened because of it. Jesus shines his light into the corners and recesses of the hearts of men. And when we think about wickedness, generally we'll think about murder or adultery or other sexual sins or, you know, take your pick, the bad stuff. But the reality is one act of disobedience to the word of God is rebellion. To desire to rule our own lives rather than submit ourselves to the authority of our creator, God the Almighty, is rebellion. Moreover, the word for wicked has a much, much broader scope. Its primary use is worthless. And there are a lot of people in this world who look at their own deeds and see themselves as more righteous than somebody else. I think I'm a good person and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not as bad as them over there, right? We've heard that and we may have even said that at some point in our lives. I'm a good person. What we don't realize is that our best, our good deeds are worthless to make us righteous before God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We may think that we've got our act together and we're righteous and we can stand upon our own righteousness. That's the Pharisees. That was Israel. Oh yeah, I keep the law. Paul, you know, poster child for the Pharisees. I was blameless according to the law. The word here for polluted garment, and I'm going to be biblical here, okay? It's not comfortable. It's pretty gross, okay? God's words. It's a used menstruation rag. 
we may think we're so hot in our righteousness. We may be better than everybody else in our neighborhood, any place else. But if we think we can stand upon our good deeds, that's how they appear before the righteous and holy God. It ain't going to cut it. We go, look what I have. And he's like, get it away from me. That is not acceptable. Isn't that heavy? But yet we have this tendency as human beings to think that we can stand upon our own righteousness. It's interesting that those who were among the greatest enemies and haters of Jesus were the ones who were the most religious. Those who, boy, they could keep the law outwardly. But inwardly, Jesus says, you're full of dead men's bones. That's why the darkness hates Jesus. And even if we're saved, you know how it feels when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something in our lives? It's just like, ow, that hurts, Lord. But it's that surgery that we need as he removes those things out of our lives so that we can be more conformed into the image of his son. He loves us. He loves the world. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You know, the, the gospel's two-sided. It's the good news, but if you don't know the other side of it, the bad news, the good news doesn't mean anything, right? You probably heard me say, you know, if I come to you and say, you know what? It would really be good and you'll be happy if you go in for this major surgery. Well, why? Because it's going to make you happy and it'll be good for you. Why? Because it will be. You'll have such joy after it. Why? You're not going to be interested in going under the knife. But if I come to you and say, you have a terminal disease, this is what's going on, and if we don't do major invasive surgery right now, you're dead. All of a sudden, it's very good news, right? There's a way to fix this, and I need it. The good news has two sides, the good news and the bad news. Good news isn't good news without the bad news. But it hurts. But it's loving. When we know that we need a Savior, that's when we come. And then here you have the people who will face the light. These are the ones where it says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The person who's walking with the Lord, walking with the light, they have no problem facing the light because as that light illuminates on their life, what it shows is God's work in their life. There's no reason to run, no reason to hide. So with all this about Jesus, what does this mean for us? And this is where, you know, for me, it was just like, wow, okay. Lord, I just want to walk closer with you. Help me to do that. The scriptures tell us that we're to walk in the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If we go over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. 
This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. It's his nature. He is holy. He is pure. He is glorious. There is no darkness in him whatsoever is what it says. In him there is no darkness at all, no deceit, no lies, no sin, no evil. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. When it says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The grammar there dictates the fellowship is between Christ and us. Yes, we do have fellowship with each other, but in the context, it's when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with Christ. And that word for fellowship is koinonia, okay? Uh, communion, community, based upon common ground. So when Jesus is the light and he walks in the light and we are walking in the light, we're walking on common ground with Jesus. We're walking in his steps. We are in step with him. And so because we are on common ground with Jesus, then we have interaction and intimacy with Jesus. But if we choose not to walk in the light, now we're not on common ground anymore. And that fellowship is hindered. Okay? The Lord calls us to discipleship. A disciple is a person who patterns their life after the teachings and the example of their master. We're not called to be converts. Jesus did not say, go and make converts of all nations. Jesus did not say, go and make church members of all nations. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciplined ones teaching them in the things of God so that they may walk on common ground with their Savior. This is what we're called to, to be disciples. And if we're disciples, then we can sufficiently, with Christ's help, be the light of the world. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, verse 5. I want you to understand that what we're looking here in John 9, 5, it's just maybe a couple of hours after Jesus just saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, then he has a dialogue with the Pharisees. And um, interestingly enough, um, 
just as a side note, in chapter 8, verse 21, after he's given this dialogue about being light of the world, um, in verse 21 it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then he goes on to have another discourse with them right there on the temple grounds. Jews, Jewish leaders who had believed, but they were not walking. And when Jesus takes them to task and illuminates where they're at, it does not, does not go well. They're not happy with Jesus. And on the heels of that discourse, we're in chapter 9, and there's this guy, you don't know his name, but he was born blind. And in verse 5, listen to what Jesus says, in light, no pun intended, of what he just said. I am, or he says in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. He still is. He's in the world. Okay. But the mantle has been handed to us. And I love this. I am the light of the world. Here's a guy living in literal darkness all his life. And Jesus heals him, opens his eyes to where he can see. And it's interesting to me that he sends him to the pool called Scent. He sent him to Scent, okay? When you come off of the Temple Mount, and the Pool of Siloam is several hundred yards below, And this guy's navigating it blind in faith that if he goes after this person has spit and put mud in his eyes, in faith he takes the journey to the pool, believing that when he washes in that pool, he will come out seeing. He put his faith in the word of Christ. Interestingly enough, during the entire Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam to get a pitcher of water, bring it back up to the court in the temple, pour it out as a remembrance of God providing water in the wilderness for the people. And when they did that, Jesus said, if any man comes to me, let him drink and he will never thirst. This guy's going down, coming back, now seeing, and his thirst will be quenched as he enters into this relationship with Jesus Christ. He was blind, but now he sees. And this guy is called before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, and they grill him as to what happened. And you know what? The one who has vision, 
is the guy who used to be blind. The ones who are blind are the ones who claim to see, and that's what Jesus calls them on. We are sent. Jesus sent this man, and he went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees only moments after receiving his sight. And you look at how he talks to them. You'd think this guy was a scholar or something, but he wasn't. He was just a dude who had Jesus. And that's all you need. We're sent. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our most basic calling, most basic, is to walk in the light as he is in the light. He shows us how, he tells us how, and he empowers us. If we just walk in the light and yield to our master, he'll take care of the rest. Everything will fall into place. If we're not in step with Jesus, all of our righteous words, our religious words, our theology, our doctrine, and whatever else you may have, it's just blowing smoke. That's all it is. One of the biggest issues that people have with Christians and Christianity is that the walk does not match the talk. People have a pretty good inkling of some of the stuff in here and some inkling of what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived. But they look at a lot of believers, well, let me rephrase that. They look at a lot of people and they don't see a walk that matches the talk. They're Christians in name only, a lot of them. Or they're believers who are backslidden, doing what's right in their own eyes. If we're not walking the walk, we're not being light. It's like waving around a flashlight with no batteries in it. Hey, follow me, I'll lead you. Blind leading the blind. It doesn't work. And again, we're not supposed to do this in our strength, but his. Just walk with him and let him work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is so good as we yield to him to take us and to convict and to correct and to change and to conform us into the image of Christ. That's the end game for us, to be like Jesus. And ultimately, that's going to happen when we're with him in heaven. But our life process and life goal as a disciple is to become more and more and more by, like our master. And I, like I said, with the guy who was born blind, when he stood before the, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the scholars, the scribes, And he dealt with them. He talked with them. He was no theologian. He was no scholar. He was a former blind beggar who had a personal encounter with the light of the world, who illuminated his vision not only physically, but spiritually, so that later when the Pharisees cast him out and forbade him to ever enter the temple again. Jesus hears of it. Jesus goes and hunts him down and says, 
do you know who the Son of Man is? The response, show me who he is so that I may believe. And I love what Jesus says. You're looking at him. Imagine saying that to a guy who was formerly blind. You're looking at him. And he says, oh Lord, I believe. We don't need to know everything. We don't have to be Christians for decades to be able to be a light. All we got to do is just hang with Jesus. Be in the light as he is, and guess what? We're going to shine as his spirit does his work in us. I love that. It all goes back to the relationship. Just being with Jesus. Jesus.